A big part of golf is the conversations that we all have, whether it's rehashing stories or trying to give each other swing tips or talk about how you perform at your best. And this has spawned plenty of myths, things that we've heard and just thought are true, but maybe they're not. It could even be the way that you think that you're getting better. Like if you're trying to work on your putting, you just add up how many putts you had at the end of the round. And if it's going down, you're getting better, right? If you think that there's a flaw in, in your, your putting stance and you're going to do something a little bit different with, with your putting technique, how do you know if that's actually working? Well, you don't want to look at your score for the round because you could have putted really well but hit some other shots poorly and you can't see that. Counting putts is really flawed because if you miss a green and ship to three feet, you're going to take fewer putts than if you have a bunch of uh, 40, 50, 60 footers when you hit the green. But, you know, strokes gain putting will control for those those differences and will allow you after, you know, a week or a month or, or two months to see was the practice that I was putting in putting paying off or not. But in all these conversations and in all of these best practices, and I'm using air quotes here, what's actually true? What works and what doesn't? You are listening to the Golf Science Lab podcast. My name is Cordy Walker, and I'm on a mission to figure out how to improve the way that we learn and get better at golf. I've been able to travel all over the world talking with leaders in the industry, from instructors to researchers to golfers themselves, learning how they're getting better at golf and what that means for you. You're joining us today as we kick off a new series of podcasts this next season is on golf myths. We're sitting down with some really interesting people who are going to bring maybe an opposing opinion to a phrase or a concept that you've heard and probably just thought that it was true. We don't like taking things for granted around here. And two big tenets are let's always ask why to figure out the reason behind things. And let's always test things out. And today we are sitting down with Mark Brody to talk about a few myths that he sees popping up in golf culture around stats and the way that we think about things like green and regulation or putts per round that aren't helping us get better. And in the way of updates, a few things besides the new podcast season that we're starting, which you should subscribe to and watch for every week, we have another announcement. We have a new course upcoming. You might want to mark on your calendar. It's on mindfulness for golf with Dr. Greg Carton, performance expert, works with a number of PGA Tour players, and has become a good friend of mine who I always enjoy hanging out with and, and talking about how to perform at your best. And we've already taken 50 people through the course, got some awesome reviews and feedback, added content, and now we are ready for you to join us. We're going to take you through it live over four weeks starting July 1st. Get all the details at golfsciencehub.com slash mindfulness. Before we get to today's episode, a quick thank you to this episode's sponsor, that is Adele Golf. We're going to talk single length irons here with Adele. They've been working on this concept, spent years perfecting it so that when you make the switch, it's as seamless as possible. I actually have a set of single length that I've been using for probably a year and love it. So much so that I reached out to Adele and asked them to sponsor the series because I think more people need to learn about single length irons and so that we can change a few minds on myths, misconceptions around them. There are kind of three questions that I get asked all the time about single lengths. Number one is, was it hard to switch? The answer is no. One, maybe two rounds and it was completely normal. It's far simpler than you think and doesn't take that long. Number two, do you hit your long irons just as far? 
Yes, when looking to launch minor data, I don't struggle for distance with the long irons. And my dispersion, meaning if I hit it left or right, has gone down. So I hit it more toward the center and I hit it just about as far. Number three, why did you switch? During the fitting process, I saw my dispersion tighten up. I was hitting my irons closer together and the misses were closer to the target. I really think that you should check these out. I spent a few hours with David Adele and we shot a bunch of videos talking through common questions and concepts you need to understand. You can find all those at golfsciencelab.com slash Adele to get all the details. And if you do get a set of single links, make sure to tag Golf Science Lab in a picture on Twitter or Instagram. Let's get to it. Let's not mess around. Let's get right into the myths and get one taken care of straight away. The idea that every shot counts the same. Well, technically on the scorecard, they do. But from a data perspective, what is actually going on here? So literally it's true, right? Each stroke, a three foot putt is one stroke on the scorecard. A 300 yard drive is one stroke on the scorecard. But I think that's sort of the wrong way to think about it. And if everybody made every three foot putt, then it wouldn't matter. It wouldn't differentiate me playing against you, Cordy. But if you hit your drive 300 yards and I hit mine 250 yards and we're both in the fairway, yeah, they both count as one stroke, but you've gained relative to me because you had you had the longer drive. And so it turns out that, that driving distance is a huge differentiator in scoring, whereas the difference in make percentage of three-foot putts, especially on the PGA Tour, is much, much smaller. You can't gain on the field very much by making more three-foot putts than the next guy because they all make you know, more than 95% of their, of their three-footers. So there's no way you could say that you know, a three-foot putt is worth the same or as, as important as a, as a 300-yard drive. Put another way, would a player actually spend as much time practicing three-foot putts as they would practicing their driving? I, I don't think so. And if you want to take that a little bit more extreme, just replace three-foot putt by one-foot putt. Nobody in their right mind would spend two hours of their time practicing one-foot putts. It just doesn't make sense. Gotcha. And are the biggest areas of gain on that on drives and approach shots then? Or... Yeah, absolutely. Approach shots is, you know, the biggest differentiator of scoring all skill levels. So number one would be approach shots. After that is probably driving and and then uh, and then putting and then and then short game. But approach shots are the biggest differentiator. So if you take two golfers, one whose average score is 90 and another whose average score is 80, where do those 10 strokes come from? Well, about 40 or 45% comes from uh, differences in approach shot skill. And the other 20 to 25% maybe comes from driving. And then that's about two thirds of, of the, of the difference. And then the other one third comes from short game and putting. And that's true. Whether I replaced, you know, the difference between an 80 golfer and a 90 golfer, or you say the difference between a college player and a tour pro yeah, the breakdown is is pretty much the same. So, you know, the number one advice that I give to many people is if you have to work on one part of your game, it's probably your approach shots and probably around 150 yards is the biggest separator. If you haven't heard the voice of our guest today, it's that of Mark Brody. 
I um, went to undergrad at Cornell and grad school in uh, Stanford University, both in the area of sort of applied math. And then I took a position as a professor at Columbia Business School where I was applying mathematical ideas to both operations and, and to finance. And more recently, I've applied the same sort of tools and techniques uh, to golf. So I'd say my recent focus in, in golf is on uh, golf analytics and probably best known for the uh, the strokes gain stats that are um, have been on been used on the PGA Tour since 2011 for putting and since 2016 for off green shots. So Mark Brody has been really influential in the world of golf. He came up with this concepts of shots gained, now a very common term when we talk about the PGA Tour and when talking about a player's strengths and weaknesses. If you want to read a great article on it, we have one linked up on the post on our website. That's a good resource, but Mark's going to define it as well here and make sure that we're all on the same page. And coming from his background of pricing of derivative securities, risk management, and more generally quantitative methods for decision-making under uncertainty, he has a unique view of the world, as you can tell. And I love that because that means that he's looking to figure out why is someone performing better and what is really the indicators of that. And when he first got into golf, he saw some big flaws in the way that we think about stats. Well, let's tackle the, the biggest myth that you've helped to, to change in the golf industry is that, you know, when we talk about a round of golf, I would say, hey, Mark, you know, I hit 10 greens and six fairways and I had 34 putts. How'd I do? And looking at it from that approach, right? Yeah, I think uh, that's a big myth that uh, you can learn much at all from from traditional stats. And uh, I contend that traditional stats are both uninformative and sometimes completely misleading. And there's there's so many sort of reasons for that. But if you take a look at, you know, Tiger Woods in his heyday, the traditional stats really gave you no clue about why he was doing so well. The number of fairways hit wasn't such a good measure. Greens and regulation wasn't such a good measure. Putts per round wasn't such a good measure. He, he didn't look like he was the, you know, one of the best golfers ever by the traditional stats. And you say, well, well, why is that? And there's so many flaws of traditional stats. But one of the main ones is that you really want to measure things in terms of strokes. And it's hard to compare hitting versus missing a fairway versus making a putt or missing a putt how do you compare those two things or how do you compare you know hitting a drive 300 yards versus 250 yards well you know 300 yard drive in the fairway is generally better than a 250 yard drive but how much so it's very hard to to quantify you know driving distance and compare that to driving accuracy to compare that with proximity to the hole to compare that with how many putts did you take so the the first flaw is that the the units of traditional stats are not consistent with each other so it makes them hard to compare and strokes gained measures everything in terms of strokes so you can measure driving with putting and it's all in this consistent units Another flaw of traditional stats is that they're sort of zero one. You either hit a fairway or you didn't. It doesn't distinguish between missing a fairway in the in the first cut of rough or missing it in the woods or missing it in the water or missing it out of bounds. So just these zero ones, you know, you lose a lot of the important information by saying you missed a green 
Well, you could miss a green, again, in, in the bunker, you could miss it on the fringe, you could miss it in, in the water, and they all count as, as a missed green and the same sort of just zero. You didn't hit the green. So it's, it's very hard from those points of view to get a, a valid measure of, uh, of a player's strengths and weaknesses. So I know that we have a lot of coaches that listen into this. We've, we obviously have a lot of players as well. You know, we're all used to jotting down their GIR, FIR putts on our scorecard just to try to pretend like we're interested in what we're doing. Um, What would be the three, four things that you would jot down then on a scorecard if we're out playing or as a coach, you want your players not super complicated, you know, that you want them to do something like what would you do? So what I've done for a long time is I, I record my my shots and um since the book came out, I knew a lot of people would want to try and do this in a spreadsheet or something else, which would be uh, sort of uh, very difficult. Uh, we created this golf metrics app. And so I just now take my phone out on the course. And after I'm done a hole, I just record my shots. And all you need to record is how far were you from the hole and what was the condition? Were you in the fairway, the sand, the rough, recovery? And it takes just, you know, 10 seconds to enter shots for a, you know, for a hole. And I do that walking to the next tee or when I'm waiting to tee off. And then when I'm done the round, I just click, you know, report and I get a report on how well I did that day and what were my strengths and weaknesses. So I no longer even use a scorecard. I use this to, uh, to record my strokes, uh, rather than writing anything down, uh, down on a scorecard these days. And I also find that helps in terms of focusing on the next shot because I'm not worried about how many over par I am or what exactly my score is because I've already recorded that. It's just like, what am I going to do on this next shot? And so there's a lot of different apps out there. So it's not, you know, just, just this one, but I, I would certainly suggest now that, you know, strokes gained and other measures are, are available to, to measure, you know, a player's performance. I, I wouldn't just jot down how many putts do I have within five feet? You know, that, that might be a better thing to do. Or how many greens that I hit within 15 feet of the hole? I wouldn't recommend doing that. I'd, I'd recommend going to the level of recording all your shots with, with perhaps one exception, which is I would think back on the round or maybe jot down what were my three best shots and what were my, what were my worst shots. So I would want to keep track of what Hank Haney calls the big misses how many shots did you hit into penalties? How many times did you miss the green from inside of 100 yards? And what were your great shots too? How many, how many shots did you, did you knock it stiff? Or how many putts over five feet did you sink? And what do we do with this data? Does this, uh, this is what always fasc- fascinates me. It's, does this drive our practice planning? Does this drive what we need to work on in skill acquisition or Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's the whole point, in fact, is you capture this initially to, to benchmark where are you now in your game. And then when you when you keep doing it, you you then set goals. And if you if you take lessons, I would I would show, you know, the teaching pro, you know, this this output and where are your strengths and weaknesses, where are your goals and, and, and what do you want to do to get there? And then I'd use this to measure progress. So if, if you think that there's a flaw in, in your, your putting stance and you're going to do something a little bit different with, with your putting technique, 
how do you know if that's actually working? Well, you don't want to look at your score for the round because you could have putted really well but hit some other shots poorly and you can't see that. Counting putts is really flawed because if you miss a green and ship to three feet, you're going to take fewer putts than if you have a bunch of uh, 40, 50, 60 footers when you hit the green. But, you know, strokes gain putting will control for those those differences and will allow you after, you know, a week or a month or, or two months to see, was the practice that I was putting in putting paying off or not? And I think, you know, again, this is great for amateurs, but this is what the pros do. The pros not only prepare for tournaments better, they have better swings and they hit the ball better, but they practice better. And, you know, a lot of them look at, you know, this kind of information, where is my biggest weakness and what do I need to improve? And if it's not the players doing it, it's the, it's the coaches that are doing it and the players are trusting the coaches to do it for them. Have you seen players that watch the data or their coaches that watch the data been able to jump up and improve drastically in some skill? And does that correlate to a lower scoring average and and better results ultimately? Have you seen anything like that? Oh, absolutely. I'm trying to think of, uh, of specific examples, but one might be Jason Day for a number of uh, years, this is going back a few years, was not so good at approach shots from, say, 100 to 175 yards. And while he was, you know, very good driving the ball, great putter and great at other things, this was sort of a particular weakness of, of his that, that persisted for, for a while. And uh, one off season, he spent a lot of time working on that particular area of his game. So working on the, the trajectory of his shots and the spins and understanding how it was going to behave on, on the greens. And he made a, a dramatic improvement in his approach shots from that 100 to 150 or 175 yard range. So that, that's one example. Ultimately, is it the average, your average score on the PGA Tour that really matters? at the end of the day or, or not so much? Oh, absolutely. I would say, you know, average score adjusted for, for the field. So you can't just look at a raw scoring average when some players are playing out in the, the desert where it's easy scoring conditions and others are playing in U.S. Opens and other very tough tournaments. So that can make a huge difference in your raw scoring average. But strokes gained is always relative to something, relative to the field. And so that's a much better benchmark. And if you take a look at that, the leaders at the end of a season in terms of wins, in terms of money, in terms of FedEx Cup points, whatever, are typically the leaders in total strokes gain, which is basically scoring average adjusting, you know, relative to the to the field. So that that's obviously the the number one thing that you that you want to look at is your uh I guess total strokes gained. Yeah. This might be completely uh there might not be nothing here but have you ever seen a a trend in you know players that struggle with their their putting or with their driving or approach they work on that they struggle with that they work on that and then they improve drastically is there any trends on what areas people see the greatest results in in their scoring average if they're able to improve it or, or are we all just different in that well, I think one of the areas that's that might be the toughest to to improve is is in strokes gain driving. And the reason driving is tough to improve is 
by the time players get to the PGA Tour, you know, they're pretty much near their, their limit in terms of how far they can, they can hit it. And so it's often not much that they can do to go from a, you know, a below, you know, a, a shorter than average hitter to a longer than average hitter. So there's, you know, there's not many examples of, of players that have increased their, their driving distance by an average of more than five yards around in a, in a given season. So they can improve accuracy for sure, but it's hard to improve driving distance at that level. So there's probably bigger gains that you would see in approach shots and in putting, in some cases short game than you would you would see in in say driving distance but uh but driving accuracy is a is another thing you're you're asking about examples of players that have you know looked at the stats and then improved and another example that's that's more recent is is Luke Donald who's always been one of the best putters on on the PGA tour but a couple of years ago he dropped by his uh his lofty standards of sort of always being top 5 or top 10 in strokes gained putting and one year he was like 65th or 70th, something like that. And, uh, you know, we, you know, we talked with his coach, who's Pat Goss, and he turned out he was leaving too many putts short of the hole. He'd become a little bit too tentative and a little bit too afraid of, of three putting, and that took away his aggressiveness. So he spent time in the offseason working on his distance control, working on being slightly more aggressive with his putting. And uh, uh, the next season, he was he was back into the the top five in 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 putting, and that's I think a a sort of a dramatic example of where stats can inform how to practice, and then you you see the results, and the results were like I said they were dramatic. It was like a half a stroke around improvement in in his putting from one year to the next. Wow. Wow. Do you ever find that players that put so much stress on one area of their game because that's where they gain strokes, that that breaks down easier than a player that's more, I don't know if well-rounded is the right word, but has a more even, more even game? <laughs> I don't even know how to describe <laughs> it, but yeah, something like that. Well, I think, you know, some parts of the game were more variable than, than others. And if you're, if you're a long driver like Dustin Johnson or Rory McIlroy, you don't have to worry about waking up one day and becoming a short driver. That that's sort of gonna gonna repeat. But good putters are not necessarily gonna stay good putters, and you can say that for approach shots and just about every other other part of the game. So I don't think you know any of these players can sort of uh, rest on their laurels. And there's a danger of putting in too much practice time on one area while other strengths sort of sort of go away. And uh, Jason Day, two years ago, had a historically great putting season, the best strokes gained putting season in history. And the year afterwards, he fell off the cliff. And this year, he's back even better. And there can be dramatic swings, especially in, in putting on, uh, from one season, one season to the next. So I think that also speaks to how people practice is you, you've got to keep, you know, putting in time in all areas of the game, not just saying, oh, this is my weakness. I'm going to devote 90% of my time to this one, you know, one small part of my game. So strokes gained is a huge jump forward in the way that we think about golf stats and getting better. 
It's what instructors are using to help their players focus on and the right things and decide if they need to make a change or not. You remember back to a, a podcast we did with Mark Blackburn talking about you need to have data to back up your decisions to make a technique change. And a lot of those decisions are coming from this data around strokes gained and the things that PGA Tour players now have access to. And I also like golf because a lot of this applies to a bunch of different areas of life. So I was curious if the ideas of strokes gained, uh, one, where this comes from, and then how we apply this to other areas of our life. So, you know, the, the idea of measuring progress to a goal is sort of a universal idea that applies in business and in finance and in science and marketing and in all sorts of places. But it was only sort of a number of years after that I started teaching a sports analytics course here at the business school. And I realized that the same concept basically applies in, in many sports. So in baseball, you can talk about the run value added. And in football, you can talk about you know, expected yards gained and respected points gained. And the same thing in, in, in basketball, you can talk about the, the expected point value of a possession. And all of those are equivalent concepts to strokes gained. It's like, how much did a pass improve your position on a basketball court? So you look at the expected points before the pass and the expected points after the pass. And the difference between that is a value that you could assign to the pass. Or you could look at on a football field, what's the expected points to score when you're on you know, second and 10 on your 33-yard line versus you complete a pass and now it's first and 10 on the opponent's 45-yard line? What are the expected points there? And the difference between those two is equivalent. It's the football equivalent of, of strokes gain in golf. So the same concept really applies to, uh, to many different sports and, and well beyond sports as well. Well, one example, a colleague of mine does research on, on education. And so the way, you know, the simple way that, that uh, teachers are, are measured is by the tests that the students take and, you know, the uh, no child left behind and all states sort of give these standardized tests to kids. And in a way that doesn't make sense because that's penalizing the teacher for whatever students happen to be in the classroom. It makes more sense to measure how well do the students improve from the beginning of the year to the end of the year under the guidance of that teacher. So that's like a teacher value added measure. And that makes a lot more sense because <laughs> that's what the teacher is doing. You want to measure their contribution to the student's learning and not just an absolute measure of whether, you know, students score well or, or poorly, because, you know, that's going to matter, you know, the demographics of, of uh, where the school is, for example. And, and that's, that's not fair. It just doesn't measure the teacher's contributions. Just yesterday, I was playing in a, in a charity scramble with some friends, and we had a bunch of, you know, approach shots in the fairway, like 100 to 120 yards, and more often than not, we ended up with like a 15 or 20 footer between the four of us, and we were just so mad because we couldn't just throw these darts in there and super close every time, right? <laughs> and I feel like that's probably a pretty common attitude. Talk to us about approach shots. I think this is a huge misconception. How good are players from say 150 yards in the fairway and an average pro on the PGA Tour 
will put half of their shots within 23 feet of the hole and half outside of 23 feet of the hole. So you can think of this proximity measure as 23 feet from 150 yards in the fairway. And first of all, most people think that pros are much better than that, but they're not. That's actually really, really good. The best pros in, in approach shots have a median leave of 21 feet. It's just two feet closer. And that doesn't sound like a lot, but that's huge. That two foot improvement in proximity is huge, not because of having a 21 footer versus a 23 footer, but it's because you have more six footers instead of eight footers or eight footers instead of 10 footers. That's really where the, the distance matters. And you say, okay, all right. So that's way off, off of most people's expectations, but here's why it matters for amateur golfers. From 150 yards in the fairway, a golfer whose average score is 90 will put half their shots within 56 feet of the hole. That's more than double the distance of, of pros. And that's enormous, an enormous, enormous difference. And we mentioned, you know, the flaws in greens and regulation, but here, you know, at this sort of coarse crude level, pros hit the green 77% of the time from 150 yards in the fairway, 90 golfers 35% of the time, which is well less than half. So you were complaining at your, uh, your event yesterday that, oh, you just have, you thought you ought to be able to throw darts. Well, 15 to 20 feet, that's, that's tour pro level. That's, <laughs> that's, that's doing pretty well. It's the, it's the 90 golfers that are putting it to, you know, 56 feet and only hitting the green a little bit more than a third of the time. That's where you lose a ton of strokes. Yeah. I, I think we, we all, golfers think they should hit it closer than they do with their approach shots. Where do you think that comes from? And I'm sure you hear that from tour pros as well. It's like they, they think they should hit it closer too. Why do we all think that? I think part of it is just the, the highlight reels that, that you see when you're, you're recapping rounds and you're, you're seeing the leaders of a tournament, which are not only the best golfers in the world, but you're seeing the highlights when they're winning <laughs> or when they're leading a tournament. And then you're seeing the highlights of that. So you're seeing the best play of the best players, and then you're highlighting the best shots out of those. And it looks like, oh, gee, you know, 170 yards, this guy just put it to tap in range. And that just doesn't happen all the time. If you follow pros around and you look at every shot, you will see a bunch of misses. You'll see, you know, shots that miss the green from 80 yards. You'll see shots that are in the water from 175 yards. And remember, they're, they're playing in all sorts of conditions. They don't just don't, you know, look out the window and say, oh, it's, it's a little rainy and windy. I'm not going to play today. They play in all sorts of conditions. So I think, you know, they, they actually are, are just amazing in, in, in how close they do. But I think even pros have sort of misplaced uh, expectations because, you know, in part, you know, they always want to get better. And so if they're at a 200-yard shot, and they put it, you know, on the green 35 feet away, that's better than average. That's better than average. And uh, I think it just takes a while to, to understand that, to manage expectations. And I think that's an important part of uh, becoming a better player is having better expectations on the course. Awesome. Thank you so much, Mark, for taking the time to, to chat with us today. Obviously, your book is an awesome resource for folks uh, and has helped a ton of people 
over the years. The Golf Metrics app, how do people go find that and download that and start using that? Uh, you can get that either on the uh, iTunes store for uh, iPhones, iOS operating system, or the Play Store for for Android. And it's it's pretty easy to use and, and self-explanatory, but uh, you can give that a give that a try. And we're always working on it, trying to trying to add some features. But it was set up to try to make the the data input as simple and painless as possible to get the most beneficial results out of of that process so perfect it's pretty pretty easy to get and it has like an orange background with a green g on it is that right that's right that's right perfect and then always follow you on twitter i think you're you're always putting out good stuff there folks should do that and stay up to date on on what you're working on that way as well anything else or are those the the main ones for you yeah, I think uh, you you sort of uh, you sort of mentioned it, and uh, I'm usually read read the Twitter feed. So if people have have questions, they're they're welcome to to shoot them, and I'll I'll try to try to answer them. It's uh, a lot of fun hearing from folks out there and some of the interesting uh, thoughts and and questions that they have. Brilliant! Thank you so much, Mark, for joining us today. All right, thanks for having me, Cordy. Thank you so much to Mark Brody for joining us. Really appreciate him. Make sure to follow him on Twitter. Check out the app that he mentioned and his book. Really good resources. Make sure to subscribe in your podcast app as we have other snippets coming out in between these main episodes. Uh, Mark answered some quick questions for us so we can get to know him better, hear a little bit more about his golf game. If you're a listener, make sure to join the Golf Science Lab Insider Club. You'll get our newsletter called The Dispatch. All of the content first definitely want to be on that so you see everything that's going on head over to golfsciencelab.com slash insider to hop on that list and this episode is hosted written by me cordy walker you can follow me on twitter at cordy walker it was edited mixed and produced by just hit published productions